I know there's a lot of people who uh, have been fighting illnesses over this past uh, couple of weeks, and so I just want to I just want to pray for that. There's maybe a few extra people watching online this morning because uh, they've got a bit of the, the Christmas flu. Hopefully it gets in and out of your system uh, before, before Christmas gets here. But uh, let's just pray for you and pray for our time together. So Lord, we just, uh, we just lift up, uh, Lord, our lives to you. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would just uh, minister healing to those who need it uh, at this time. Um, Lord, we know that that uh, goes far beyond just physical healing, but Lord, those who are, are struggling with uh, flus and uh, different sicknesses, we pray for sustaining strength. Lord, we pray for healing. Uh, Lord, we just pray for a, uh, a good time um, with loved ones, Lord, throughout this Christmas season together. May we cherish those moments, Lord, we pray. Uh, Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, that, uh, that you would open up our hearts today. Uh, Lord, that your living word would be used by your Holy Spirit to do that work in our lives uh, that you alone could do. So we pray, Lord, that we would leave here having done more than just learned some information. Lord, we, we ask that you would do that transformation of our lives from the inside out, uh, that we might reflect more of the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, when I turned 40, uh, which was 13 years ago, believe it or not, but it was one of those milestone moments, you know, I wanted to mark it, I wanted to do something a little out of the ordinary, um, and so uh, I landed on the idea of skydiving. I thought that would be a great way to mark my 40th birthday. I, uh, I shared that idea with Diane, and she was how to put it, just a little less than enthusiastic. Um, she said something like this. She said, uh, being that we have four kids in school, living at home, she said, I'd really prefer to limit my chances of becoming a single mom at this point in time. <laughs> so she said, if it's okay with you, would you mind coming up with a different option? All right, back to the drawing board. I was uh, riding around one day, and I saw this sign for um, the Putnam Triathlon um, right in our backyard, basically. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. That sounds like a, a formidable challenge to take on. And so uh, first I got spousal approval. I got the thumbs up. And, uh, and then I signed up for this event, and I started riding my bike and started running around the track. And the biggest challenge was, was getting in the water and, and slimming, swimming laps in the pool. And uh, the day arrived and I crossed the finish line of that uh, small triathlon. And I was like so excited. I was just hooked on triathlons. And, uh, and, and, and for the next decade, basically for the decade of my 40s, I, I spent a lot of time um, training for uh, different endurance events, different, different triathlons. And uh, some of you may think I'm crazy, but I find it fun, you know, to, to go out and do these workouts. Uh, 
There's a sense of accomplishment that comes from just crossing a finish line. Uh, there's the benefits of physical fitness. And, uh, and I'm also one of those guys, I like to process things. And some guys, they go out and mow their lawn and they think and they process and pray. And I go out and run and ride my bike. And all the while, I'm just thinking of things. A lot of times I come home after a run and I run to the computer because some of my best insights for uh, different messages come from, um, from my exercise time. But here's what I've noticed um, when it comes to this whole kind of arena of athletic endeavors. There's, there's a, a perceived wow factor to them um, that those who have never done one, it's easy to be very impressed with those who have. And so if I talk about, you know, I did a triathlon, people did, you did what? You went how far? And truth be told, it's, it's not as hard as it sounds. It's not as difficult. Um, and, and then there's people like me who, when I do these events, I'm what you would call a mopper. Um, mopper stands for middle of the pack. And so when I compete in these events, I'm competing against myself. I am not racing to hit that finish line first. That is way out of the realm of possibilities for me. But for Moppers like me, we get very impressed with those who can, those who compete at the pointy end of the field and do these events at a pace that I can't even imagine doing. And uh, some people can do them. And so uh, there's this wow factor that I think kind of permeates throughout our society. Um, it's almost created, I think, like what you would call like a like a demigod sort of class that uh, we just tend to adore. And sometimes we even idolize those who have a strength and a gifting and, and a grit to do things that other people cannot do within a particular arena of life. And so maybe the ultimate example of this is uh, Michael Jordan, right? They call Michael Jordan the alien, that is his legendary status because of his extraordinary abilities in the basketball court. Um, now, no one's ever called him an alien when it comes to how he performs on the baseball field, um, except maybe to imply that he really had no business being there. Um, and if you take the wide-angle lens and you look at his life on a whole, uh, you see that that strength that he had on the court, it didn't always carry over and translate to other arenas in his life. And, and so uh, he dealt with things like, like betrayal and, and fractured relationships and business failures and, and scandals and, and addictions. And, and, and you look at that and you say, do you still want to be like Mike? That was like a trademark when I was a kid, you know, be like Mike. But Mike now is, he's aging and he's flawed and the only thing that means is not to take anything away from him other than to say that he's human. He's, he's just like the rest of us. He is not in a different class of superhero. And truth be told, Mike is more like us in more ways than he's not like us. And when we understand that, it kind of, I think it frees us to be able to appreciate people without idolizing them without putting them in this special category, this class. And, and 
the point I'm trying to get at is that there is the distinction between extraordinary and impossible. And that line that separates the two is the line of separation between creator and creation. So created beings, people, warrant appreciation, admiration. But creator God alone warrants exaltation and worship. And when we start mixing up the way we respond to different categories, when we start exalting creation instead of creator, that's when things start going sideways in life. Uh, God is the only one worthy of our worship. And it's, it's not because he needs us to worship him. It's simply because nothing and no one else can compare to him. That's, that's the reality. Try as we might, created beings can never do the things that creator God can do. So, so we, can, we can accomplish some extraordinary things, but God's the only one who can accomplish the impossible. And the God we meet in scripture is God Almighty. And what that means is unlike you and, and unlike me, he is able to do anything he wants in whatever arena he enters into. And, and that reality uh, is on full display as the first Christmas approached. Uh, we've been in a series over the past few weeks. It's called Advent. Um, Advent is just basically the Greek word for arrival, and it's a season uh, that celebrates this reality that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. Christmas arrived. Our Savior came on the scene. And it's also a time to remember God's promise that at the right time, that same Christ who came has promised that he's going to come again. And so we're diving into that. And of all the gospel writers, uh, Luke is the one who writes down the greatest amount of detail concerning the birth of Jesus and everything that was going on at that time. The first two scenes that open up his account um, highlight this very reality that the arena of the impossible, that arena that you and I and every person we've ever met cannot step foot into that is the very place where God dwells. It's where he lives. It's what he navigates through with ease all day, every day. And that means something to us. It means that the right response for us is always to believe almighty God, to take him at his word, and to trust in what he promises. We're going to look at that this morning. I want to read, um, starting in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, and, and then uh, 11 to 13. It says this, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, and he had a wife, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. 
But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call him John. So this is, this is the first scene that uh, Luke opens up his gospel with. And, 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 and we meet this senior saint whose name is Zechariah and we find out that he and his wife were old and they were childless. And, and, and their childbearing years were well far behind them. But then the angel Gabriel shows up and, and he informs Zechariah that God was about to accomplish something unheard of, something impossible. And that despite their old age, they were going to bear a child. This, this child was to be a child of destiny. He's to be named John. And he would grow up and later be known as John the Baptist who would, who would proceed and pave the way uh, for Jesus to come. So, so Zechariah hears this announcement and what happens next is he has a crisis of belief. Um, he responds and says, how can I know that what you're telling me is true for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years or the way I'd say it is that I'm a wrinkled old man and my wife is decades past her prime. That would be the PBT, the, the Pastor Brian translation. Um, but uh, Zechariah is struggling with something. He is struggling with believing God. He's wrestling with unbelief. And maybe that's a struggle that some of us can relate to. We probably all can relate to it. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, I believe in God, um, but it's a whole other thing to believe God. That can be a real challenge for all of us. See, believing God requires bursting this bubble, this bubble that says that if I can't see it, if I can't taste it, if I can't touch it, if I can't smell it, if I can't hear it, then it's not real. It, it means breaking out of that box that says if something has never happened, then it never can happen. See, God was going out of his way to shatter that paradigm with the arrival, with the coming of Jesus. Because if, if God is almighty, then anything can happen. If God is almighty, and the miraculous is possible. And he's pushing that to the forward. Uh, Zechariah um, isn't willing to participate. He says, uh, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah is stuck in this unbelief, and what we find out is that unbelief comes with consequences. It, it sets Zechariah on the sidelines. He is, he is sidelined. Now, it's worth saying that God's plans aren't sidelined, right? That, that didn't affect God's plans at all. Everything God promised to do happened. 
And it happens exactly the way Gabriel told Zechariah it would. The only difference is that Zechariah, because of his unbelief, he missed out on it. He didn't get to take part or participate in it. All right, so this, like I said, this is scene one of Luke's gospel, and there's this die that's being cast here. Um, There is a take-home already that is clear uh, for all of us. It's something like this. God can do anything. And he was back then, and he still is today, looking for those who hear what he says, who trust in what he can do, who take him at his word, and who build their lives and set their sights around what he's promised. That's the take-home. And the question is, Who's going to do that? Who's willing to do that? So that was scene one. Scene two comes next, and it pans in on his teenage girl. Girl whose name is Mary. And in first century Roman Empire terms, Mary would be about as anonymous, as obscure, and as insignificant an individual as you would ever cross paths with. And like Zechariah, she she gets interrupted. Her day gets interrupted by the same heavenly messenger. And what Gabriel announces to her is even more impossible uh, than the first message. He tells her this. He says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's an incredible announcement and this announcement has to do with the arrival of the Messiah. Uh, the one that the whole first part of the Bible was written about, promise foretold about, the Savior that all of the scriptures had been pointing towards, the one that they'd been hearing about all their lives, he's on the brink of arriving. It's all about to play out. And this angel is telling Mary, you are the vessel that God has chosen to deliver this king, the king of the world, into our world. That's, that's amazing, it's overwhelming, and, and Mary gets it. She understands what God is going to do. What she doesn't comprehend at this point is how. And so she asks the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And, and it's a good question, right? Because Mary understands the way things work. She's heard about the birds and the bees, and she's engaged to, to, to Joseph, but but they haven't yet been sexually active. And so there's this, there's this mixing factor that's not part of the equation yet. And so she's asking the angel, what's the plan for that? And here's, here's Gabriel's response. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. So the answer to the how question is God. God was going to do what only God could do. 
what no one else could do. He was going to do something that had never been done before and has never been done since. And so this child she's hearing about that's going to happen, it's literally going to be the Son of God. And, and that echoes back. Uh, you know, if you know your Bible, it echoes back to the prophet Isaiah. It echoes back 700 years before Mary was born. Um, the prophet Isaiah promised in chapter 7, verse 14, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and would call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so for 700 years, the world had been put on notice that when God arrives, when Emmanuel arrives, he was going to break into this place, into our reality in an unprecedented, never been done before or since miraculous way. God was going to do what no one else but God could do. Now, there's two ways that we can respond to a claim like that. One way is to say, yeah, right. That's never happened before. And that means it's impossible. It couldn't happen. It didn't happen. There has to be some kind of explanation. We need to be able to explain the supernatural out of this passage because it doesn't belong there. That's one response. The second response would be to simply recognize that God is almighty. And that means he doesn't need our permission to do the miraculous. That he's free to do whatever he wants in whatever way he wants, whenever he wants to do it. And that means he can break in at will. It means he can supersate the, the natural way things work anytime he wants. And he simply did what he said 700 years previously he was going to do. Here's what this is getting at. The reality of the coming of Christ confronts us with this reality um, that there is something real to pay attention to that goes beyond the natural. The supernatural is real. God is almighty. Through Jesus, he has broken into our existence. And that requires us to readjust our expectations around that. So Gabriel sums up the situation to Mary in this way in chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. That's what it comes down to. That's the statement Christmas is making, and it's a statement we all, we all respond to, whether we like it or not, in one way or the other. Nothing is impossible with God. That's, that's not a statement any of us can lay claim to about ourselves. I can't say nothing is impossible with Brian. Um, neither can you. Neither can anyone else. Now, there are those who are extraordinary, right? There are those who can do more than others can do. But at the end of the day, we all fall into that ordinary category. And 
I'm not taking away from, you know, it's probably true that most of us are probably capable of more than we think we can do. And if we add a little bit of structure and a little bit of discipline and a little bit of motivation and some cheerleading, we can probably do a little bit more. That's not what this is about. That, that's not what this is getting at. What this is getting at is the simple reality that you and I are in God. God is God. And he is the only one who is able to accomplish the impossible. God can do anything. He was and he is still looking for those who hear what he says, who trust in what he can do, who take him at his word and who build their lives and set their sights around what he promised. The question is, who's going to do that? Who's, that, who's going to respond in that way? The answer in this particular episode is Mary. This insignificant character. She responds and she says this. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That response Mary is modeling for us what a believing response to Almighty God looks like. Lord, I believe you are going to do everything you said you would. And whatever part you have in mind for me to play and what you want to do, I'm in. I'm here. I'm yours. Let it be to me according to your word. And, and I want to just point out that the only thing that Mary had when she responded to God she had God's word, and that's it. She had this advance announcement of what the angel told her would be. She's being informed about it, but that work hadn't happened yet, right? She had God's word. She heard the promise, and that was enough for her. That's when she chose to believe in God. The point I'm making is that that means that Mary... And, and Zechariah as well, they were in the exact same position that you and I are in. We have God's word. This word is filled with his promises. It tells us about what is. It tells us about what will be. And the question for us is the same question for Mary is, how are we going to respond to that? Mary believed in the God for whom nothing is impossible. She did that by taking him at his word. She built her life around what God had promised. And what we see here is that unlike Zechariah, there's this comparison and contrast going on, right? Because Zechariah didn't believe and he's sidelined. Mary's not sidelined. Instead, she's like swept into the center stage. She gets this front row seat. She is seeing the impossible of God unfold right in front of her eyes. And again, the take home is clear. This is how much believing God matters. It means everything. It makes all the difference. Now, we only have a little bit of time here, so we're only going to be able to skim through the rest of the story, but I'll just give you some footnotes. The passage shows 
how believing God, this response that Mary showed, it set her life in motion. So part of that message that Gabriel told Mary was about uh, her relative, her elderly relative, Elizabeth, that she was pregnant. And so, and so Mary leans into that. And the very next thing she does is she runs off with haste is what it says. And she goes to visit Aunt Elizabeth. And, and then there's this scene where the two unlikeliest mothers-to-be are standing side by side. They're in the same room together. And they must be just like laughing at each other, seeing the there's something impossible taking shape right before their eyes. Can, can you just imagine what that conversation must have sounded like? The, the anticipation, the expectation. I'm sure there was a lot of trepidation as well. How is this going to play out? But there they are. There's two believers side by side feeding each other's faith. And it's in that context that, that Mary breaks out in song. And this is actually where I wanted to start the sermon, is with Mary's song. It just took this long to get there. Don't worry, we're not going to be here for a whole lot longer. Um, but she sings this song. It's the song of exaltation. It's a song that's uh, inspired by the Psalms. And, and I want to read it as we close this morning. And I want you to take note of who it is that Mary's exalting. Because this is where the wow factor, I think, comes in. She's singing about the awesome works of Almighty God. That's the God that Mary surrendered to, the one who specializes in accomplishing the impossible. A God who is so strong that he can change the landscape of the world and flip the script in the blink of an eye. And in this song, we're also going to hear about the mighty and the proud. Maybe that's the impressive people that we in our day tend to look up to and admire. Wow, they're amazing. And she sings about them just being scattered, scattered by God as he lifts up the lowly. And all of this has everything to do with the coming of this baby, this child, Jesus Christ. Here's what she says. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. That's a often called the magnificent, uh, Mary's magnificent, Mary magnifying the power and might of God. It's a beautiful song. You know, we read that and we see there's, there's parts of this song that have come to pass, right? It started to happen when Jesus arrived. He, he came on the scene and he changed everything. 
His birth was a miracle. And his entire life and his ministry was marked by the miraculous. He did things no one else could do. He healed, he restored. And the ultimate evidence that nothing is impossible with God happened when when he went to the cross and, and he paid the price to accomplish our salvation. He did what none of us could ever do. But there's also a not yet to this song because the fullness of what Jesus came to accomplish, it hasn't happened yet, right? Because we look out in our world and we see there's still, still a lot of proud people in positions of power. There's still a lot of weak people being taken advantage of. But that same Christ who came, he's promised us that he is coming again. He's gonna finish the job he started. He's gonna do what has yet to be done. He is gonna fix this broken world. He's gonna come back and rule and reign. And for that to happen, it's gonna take a miracle. So if you hear that and you say, that's absurd, that's impossible, good. Because that means you're getting it. You're getting it. God can do anything. And he was and he still is right now. He's looking for those who hear what he says, who trust in what he can do, who take him at his word and who build their lives and set their sights around what he's promised. The question is, is it gonna be you? Is it gonna be me? The right response today and always is to believe to take God at his word, to trust in what he promises and to follow where that leads. Let's pray together.